0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your
1: podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
0: Welcome to Mom in Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In today's episode, we are going to be taking a closer look at some of the cultural aspects of maternal mental health for Asian Indian mothers. We're going to talk a little bit about how maternal mental health issues might present or what some of the barriers might be to accessing or receiving perinatal mental health care and also what are some of the strengths of the culture that are supportive of perinatal mental health. We're going to hear from Dr. Deepika Goyal, who is a professor of nursing at San Jose State University and a family nurse practitioner who is passionate about maternal mental health, specifically among women of Asian Indian descent. Dr. Goyal's research adds to the postpartum mental health narrative regarding Asian American women's experiences, mental health help-seeking behavior, and preferred management of postpartum depression. Her research findings provide clinicians with information they need to provide culturally informed care to promote optimal maternal child well-being outcomes. I really love getting into these discussions about how culture shapes our experiences through motherhood and very specifically through issues regarding perinatal mental health. So let's meet Dr. Goyle. Welcome, Deepika. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I would love to hear about your work. I'm really fascinated by what you do. So if you can start there, that would be great.
2: Okay, so my research area centers around postpartum depression and associated factors such as sleep disturbances, infant temperament, marital satisfaction, all the social support, all of those kinds of things. So the population I focus on is Asian American moms, in particular, Asian Indian women, so women of Indian descent. Mm -hmm. And as a young Indian mom myself, I experienced some depressive symptoms after the birth of my first daughter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of got through that episode, wasn't really sure what was happening to me. Then fast forward about 10 years later, I was doing my master's degree in nursing. And I was reading some articles about, you know, women in a support group who were going through postpartum depression and the feelings they had. And I realized at that time that that's what I was going through. Years earlier, mm-hmm. but I never really knew what was happening i couldn 't put any words to it or describe it it 's just something I got through sure yeah. and so for my master 's project, I decided to look further into phenomenon of postpartum depression and specifically in indian women so that 's kind of how I got started in the, this research area, so from my own personal experience sure and um, so it was just interesting in looking at the literature, there really wasn 't anything about postpartum depression in Indian women in the United States Mm -hmm. at all. There was lots of research conducted in India and Canada and the UK, but primarily with low socioeconomic groups Okay. and nothing really in the United States. You know, it was something that was kind of intriguing to me, like there's this thing called postpartum depression. These are, you know, women are talking about being isolated Mm -hmm. and feeling like they're on a roller coaster and not really understanding what's happening to them. And I wanted to examine it further. So I you know, conducted a small study looking at depressive symptoms in women in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And you know, women answered my survey, which was great. And mm-hmm. of the women that answered, you know, more than half of them had high depressive symptoms so they were at risk for you know developing depression oh gosh that's a high number yeah it really was considering it's very in general depressive you know mental illness depressive symptoms are very stigmatized in the asian cultures in Mm -hmm. all of the asian cultures actually and you know i do recall back when i first read this article in graduate school about postpartum depression and i kind of you know talked to my parents and Talk to some family members, like, oh, you know, reading about postpartum depression, you know, have you ever heard of it in Indian women? And oh, everyone's like, oh, no, Deepika, you have a good husband, you have a child who's well, you know, we don't talk about mental illness, Mm. not something Mm -hmm. we talk about. And so, yeah. Okay,
0: so just in general, for Asian Indian Women, postpartum depression is not highly recognized.
2: It hasn't been. Okay, so back mm-hmm. when I started my research, we're talking, you know, 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. when I was in grad school. So back then it was something nobody was really talking about. Mm-hmm. Really, maybe you heard some things on the news. Typically on the news, you would hear about the women who had the most severe type of postpartum depression. or There's several different, there's a kind of a continuum postpartum mood disorders or postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So it goes all the way from anxiety to the blues, you know, blues, you know, 80% of women have the blues
3: mm-hmm.
2: kind of up and down symptoms that they resolve on their own. But about one or two of every thousand women have postpartum psychosis, mm-hmm. which is, those are the things you hear about in the media where women have jumped off of a building, or they've hurt themselves, or their infants, so they've killed right. themselves or their infants. And so, back in two thousand and one and two, people only thought of those most tragic stories or sure. those right. incidences, not depression. And so, over the years, ever since I've been looking into, you know, studying this area, it has become more mainstream. And there's more policies that are Mm -hmm. addressing this. It's become, you know, more awareness. So I think it's kind of coming over into the Indian community, but not as quickly as in mainstream Mm -hmm. cultures.
0: This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood. And they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful, and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house, from beautiful florals to your favorite brands, such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care, because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash MIND and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order.
1: That's poshpeanut.com slash MIND, promo code MIND. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans.
0: How are postpartum mental health issues
2: viewed in the Asian Indian community? Well, I think listening to women tell their stories is one thing. So in general, it's still kind of hidden. So in the older generations, it's something you don't talk about as much, especially with people outside the family. Mm -hmm. Within the family, they will, you know, obviously try the best to help. But typically, um, you know, I conducted several different studies and one of the studies was in particular talking to women after they've had a child within the first 12 months after having a child and trying to understand their thoughts about what do they think postpartum depression is or if do they know what the symptoms are. And, you know, who would they talk to if they felt like they needed to talk to someone about any symptoms of depression? You know, what did their friends and family think? Mm -hmm. You know, what did they think? And in general, they kind of knew somewhat what it was. And they would talk about if they had symptoms or they felt like something was not quite right. They would talk to their spouses first, but, you know, they would only go in for help as a last resort.
0: Okay.
2: And some of the women thought it, said they didn't really know what the symptoms were. So it was all kind of a little bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. But in general, there was still a lot of fear of family finding out or someone outside the family finding out, like bringing shame to the family or women feeling that they would not be seen as strong enough to handle what they were going through. Okay. So shame in
0: the family, kind of being seen as weak or having some sort of weakness.
2: Right. And, you know, we're also concerned about even having their insurance companies know that Mm. they they would have a diagnosis of some kind of depression. Right. Well, I wonder then if you saw from your research, how did maternal
0: mental health, perinatal mental health issues show up? Like what was the presentation? Does it show Mm -hmm. up in physical symptoms or some other way?
2: So first of all, they didn't really examine that piece per se. Oh, okay. But okay. so the research was more about talking to women about what their thoughts were. So it kind of, if I could just go back a little bit. So the first study back in 2001, 2002, that was looking at self-report symptoms, right? Oh, okay. Like a, women would anonymously fill out a questionnaire The first research study that was published in 2006 was looking at Asian Indian women's self-report of postpartum depression symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they filled out an anonymous self-report questionnaire. So that indicated that more than 50% of the women was scoring in the high depressed range or a high risk for developing depression. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, I did some medical record, or I should say a clinic in Northern California, perhaps, And in that, what I was looking at, what were the clinical diagnosis rates for women of Asian descent? And what we found there was for clinical diagnosis rates, Asian Indian women and actually Chinese women were significantly less likely to be diagnosed with postpartum depression compared to Caucasian women. Hmm. And so there was kind of a disconnect in my mind that self-report symptoms or rates were high.
0: Right, right.
2: Clinical diagnosis rates were low. Right. Mm, right so then you know makes you think like there's some disconnect so then I kind of started on this pathway of talking to women to mm-hmm. wanting to understand what their understanding was of postpartum depression and you know what would they do and who would they talk about it in their families I like, just trying to understand because as a nurse practitioner or you know in the medical field you really need to engage the whole family right. for treatment in certain circumstances you yeah. know such as in order for women to obtain help, you kind of need to understand the whole family dynamics. Yeah. As you might know, in the Asian cultures, often the mother-in-law or a female relative may come and stay with the new mother for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. two, you know, three to four months. And so they're part of that family dynamic with all the decision-making that happens.
0: Sure. Making decisions collectively.
2: Right. So in that qualitative research, in talking to the women, what we found is if they did have symptoms... They may or may not know there were symptoms, but if they knew they were having some kind of symptoms or they weren't quite feeling quite right, they would definitely talk to their spouses first. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was the most striking was they would not go in for treatment until it was the last resort. Mm. So that's the piece that's actually concerning as a clinician. Because, you know, if they go in earlier, if there's intervention sooner, we can kind of Maybe the piece about the intervention was the problem, I believe, in talking to the women because they were very much against antidepressant therapy or pharmacologic therapy. Mm-hmm. And instead, they were seeking alternative or complementary medicine. Right? Sure. And, you know, these days with the medical system, there's just not as many practitioners of alternative medicine yeah. that, that are also specialists in postpartum depression. Right, right. Very very slim right. pickings there, yes. Right. So I guess the issue is they may have the symptoms, they'll tell their spouse, but knowing if they go in for help, there's only really, most commonly pharmacologic therapy, and they weren't really interested in that. So therefore, they would wait till, in this sample of women that we interviewed, mm-hmm. collective thinking was that they would wait until the last minute to be seen which then kind of promotes that presentation in a psychotic state sometimes, hmm. right?
0: Right, right. They've been suffering for some time just right. trying to keep it together. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, there was a lot of stigma as a barrier to obtaining mental health care. You know, if they were going to seek it, they wanted to seek it anonymously.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There were thoughts about feeling that it was a personal failure for needing mental health care, Mm-hmm. You know, and as again, I would just say again, the most striking finding was that they would seek professional mental help, but it would be as a last resort.
0: Would this be more along the lines of like psychotherapy or at that point seeking medication?
2: Yeah. So actually, thank you for bringing that up. So basically the whole thing about therapy and medication was not really something that was accepted. Oh, okay. Right.
0: Right. So they're still searching out for a complementary medicine, but at the right. last
2: moment. Right. But I mean, overall, it was good to see that women would seek help at least, you know, at some point along the way, you know, even though it'd be at the last, you know, as the symptoms got worse, they would eventually seek help. That was good because in the past, you know, hearing about it, you know, anecdotally from family and other friends and family, it would be something that you just wouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: I was wondering if, and maybe this is a side question if in your research were was there any differentiation between like first generation Asian Indian women versus people who maybe had been here longer
2: right, so they definitely the women who had been here in the United States that were more acculturated to the Western culture, they were more likely to seek help
0: mm-hmm.
2: so it's interesting, so you know the family members that come to help for the two to three months or three to four months after the new baby, the are really good social support, support the new mother and the new family, but they can also, you know, kind of hinder seeking mental help. Oh, right. Because you were talking about the generational differences. Yeah. And the values. Oh, right. But, yeah. But I think overall, I believe we are moving forward. So things have moved even over the last like 15 years or so, things are, you know, they're a little bit more accepted like conventional Western medicine, type yeah, of- like yeah. Need, knowing that if you need to get help, it's okay to go and talk. You know, uh, more, I think people are more open to now going to seek therapy or sure. you know psychotherapy. I think antidepressant therapy is still something that you know we need to work on. Mm-hmm. But that's also where my research has taken me is looking at sleep disturbance. Yeah. So I think as healthcare providers working with childbearing women, we can. You know, let women know that they need to get good rest after they have a baby, mm-hmm. right? And they may need, if their symptoms are warrant, they might need pharmacologic therapy, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But also, if they can do some things, that, you know, when their family is there helping them with the new baby to get enough sleep, you know, the research suggests that women who get at least six hours of uninterrupted sleep have lower depression scores than women who don't get six hours of uninterrupted sleep. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a new mother, you know, they're going to laugh at that. Like, well, how am I going to get six hours of sleep? Right. But, you know, getting, you know, okay, try with four or five. Mm -hmm. Have a family member give the breast milk in a bottle if you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Have family Mm -hmm. kind of help with the care of the child as well.
0: Right. To extend that sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder, and maybe I'm kind of going down a different pathway here with this question, but I'm curious if there are, like, culture-specific practices that are supportive and or if it's hard to access those types of practices here that would be supportive. Does that make sense?
2: I believe so. So the biggest culture specific tradition in the postpartum is having a female relative. Typically it's the mother, the new baby's grandmother or the, you know, so basically the mom or the mother-in-law or a sister. Someone comes to stay with the new family for three to four months and kind of takes over the household duties, right? The cooking and the cleaning so that the new mom can bond with the baby and take care of the baby's needs. Mm-hmm. And for many families, that's not possible, especially if they're here and their parents cannot travel or, you know, I don't know how you say it, if they've, just immigrated or emigrated, but if they've, you know, they feel many families here are isolated from family back home, Sure. right? Yeah. The thing about Asian Indian culture is there are many sub, Cultures within that, yeah. and in all the Asian cultures, there's about having thirty to forty days of rest at home. Mm-hmm. You know, where somebody can take over their household duties, or you know, not leaving the house. So mm-hmm. those kind of you know, not leaving the house is not practiced as much in the United States because people have to go out to visit physician appointments, or
0: mm-hmm.
2: but basically, women may not follow that as strictly as they might if they were back in India. Sure, but. The main cultural practice would be the, you know, remaining indoors for 30 days, you know, without going outside. Mm -hmm. It's it's more so to prevent illness for the baby Mm -hmm. because they haven't had their immunizations yet, keeping the new mother warm so she heals properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I was saying earlier, even within the Indian culture, there are many different subcultures and each of them have different, same kinds of dietary modifications, for improving breast milk production and healing Mm -hmm. however each subgroup might use different herbs but they're all aimed at breast milk production like fenugreek Mm -hmm. seeds are very much helping help with breast milk production and healing you know just to heal the body after having a child and keeping warm i mean you'll see women wrapped up their body is thought to be in a cold state after having a baby Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. they want to heat you know warm you up again and you'll see new mothers will get special foods that are rich in fat and nuts and things that will help you heal.
0: For you, the listeners of Mom and Mind Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Some of the books I've listened to from Audible are Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, and Down Came the Rain by Brooke Shields. You can pick one of those books or any other book you'd like to listen to. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audibletrial.com slash momandmind. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash momandmind for your free audiobook. Right. So if somebody has access to that type of support and or those types of foods, I'm assuming that would, maybe we don't know, be preventative, but certainly could potentially be preventative. Preventative for? Developing a mood or anxiety disorder.
2: I'm not sure if it's the actual items of food or support. I don't think it's the actual food. I think it's the feeling of support. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of something that's not necessarily expected, but that you see done in families where someone has a new baby and you know, everyone kind of gathers around to collectively take care of the needs of that new family. In my own case, I had my first child on a military base in Japan in the middle of winter Mm. and nobody came to stay with me. So in answer to your question, I really think maybe not at that moment, but I did kind of feel isolated and neglected. Mm -hmm. But I can't say that that contributed to my depressive symptoms because at the time I didn't know I was depressed. Right. Nobody ever asked me how I was feeling. All the medical appointments were focused on the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but the reading stories later on, you know, reading research articles later on, specifically kind of a classic research by Dr. Cheryl Beck, Mm -hmm. where she talks about the lived experience of postpartum depression. And reading those stories, she interviewed women who were part of a postpartum depression support group and hearing them talk about how they felt, that really struck a chord with me. And I realized that that's what was happening to me earlier with my own child. But it wasn't until then that I knew anything was wrong. You know, I knew that was something wrong with me. Even my husband knew there was something going on, but he couldn't really put, you know, there was nothing we could really do about it. Right. So we got through it. So I think the support, the family support, knowing that all of my other cousins and family members had someone come and stay with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then just, I mean, there's this other piece that I keep hearing over and over about not having like just the information about, you know, the potential of these feelings and how you could feel and not you specifically, but certainly all women that certainly there's not enough of us talking about it for everyone to be aware that this could happen just from the information point of view. But then there's also this long history of stigma Uh around these these feelings in general. So there's no context to understand why you feel the way you feel.
2: Right. So I think things are changing slowly. Mm -hmm. And that's why actually I'm a family nurse practitioner, but I work with women, women's health, childbearing women. I see a lot of pregnant women. And I think as clinicians, we need to be talking about potential for mood disorders during the pregnancy
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and talk about what are the common types of feelings like the blues and then when to seek help, when those symptoms get severe or if those symptoms aren't going away, that's when you need to get help. So- the conversation has to start during pregnancy. We can't be waiting until after.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know you've started your research with Asian Indian women and have branched out to all Asian women. I'm curious if you're seeing some similar patterns, if there are some cultural similarities.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, so after talking to the Indian women in collaboration with other colleagues, we've done similar studies talking to Chinese women and Vietnamese women and are in the middle of wrapping up a study with Korean women, just to kind of understand because much of the research that has included Asian American women in their study samples, they kind of, they'll have like one Chinese and one Indian and you know, or two Indian, and, you know, Kind of mixed in with everyone else, it's oh, wow. not separated out. So, just curious are there differences? Mm-hmm. There are slight differences in well, there are differences in the traditions, sure. the perinatal traditions, but the postpartum care is very similar. The postpartum traditions are very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, staying indoors, the time differences slightly vary from 30 to 40 days, but mm-hmm. the period of rest after a new child, staying indoors, the family support for the new mom. The food. So mm-hmm. again, everyone feels that the pregnancy is a hot state, mm-hmm. but after the baby is born and the blood loss and all of that, that their body is now in a cold state. Mm-hmm. So everything is done to kind of keep that body warm for healing. Mm-hmm. But each different group has slightly different food items, you know, broth versus different types of food mm-hmm. for each group, but the principles are the same. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, and then obviously your sample of people you're studying are here in the United States. The same thing would be true too, that like sometimes the practices that may be supportive could be harder to access because the support's not there.
2: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Due to family not being there. But there are now companies that, not for Indian families as much, but I was been hearing about companies that will come and they'll provide you the food that they have like packages you know nowadays with the internet and sure. you know free commerce there's companies that will come into the hospital and bring you your postpartum meals
0: mm, like kind of food cool.
2: service like we have you know all the different cooking services now for food yeah, yeah. Cram, like hello fresh and mm-hmm. i don't know the other ones but now there's also postpartum support services like that that are culture specific Yes. So in the hospital you'll see the fridges they've got like Chinese broths. And oh you know, my the, so, Yeah. And How actually cool. interestingly, the Korean study we're still analyzing the data, but in Korea there's actually like a postpartum doula that some women might access here. A person that comes to your home and kinda of helps you through the postpartum period. That in Korea where there'll be mm-hmm. a woman that comes to your home and helps you with breastfeeding and helps you with all the care, you know, kinda mm-hmm. get you through the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, all the different traditions and practices.
0: Sure. And as you're talking through, I'm thinking, obviously, I guess, from a therapist perspective, because that's the work that I do, Mm -hmm. is if I were meeting with an Asian Indian mother or an Asian mother who is maybe first generation, like, how could I support them? What could I do to make sure that, you know, if they were coming in to meet with me, how best could I support them in their healing process?
2: I think just listening first, which I know you do very well. <laughs> you know, I think I'd need to know more about what you did. Yeah, But absolutely. I mean, as a therapist, I think it's important to keep an open mind Yeah, and be aware of all the culture-specific types of practices and traditions to kind of assess your clients, to see, you know, how they feel about those practices and you know to kind of how I did with my research you know so trying to find out if they missed that or mm-hmm. if there are these cultures did they have them mm-hmm. or if they didn't have them how did it make them feel and kind of trying to understand you know what is causing maybe what is contributing to the depressive symptoms
0: sure yeah, yeah. so we're not making assumptions then mm-hmm. about oh i heard that from your culture this is right. what's used right. so that's what you should do now right, right. because people especially people who are acculturating, and in the process of acculturation, there could be many different stages of what feels supportive and what doesn't.
2: Right. You know, so just the simplest thing, you know, as a nursing instructor as well, you know, and, and, you know, students come to me, oh, do we give the, you know, they have an Asian patient in the postpartum unit, and it's, oh, do we give them water with ice or without ice? I don't know what to do. I said, why don't you ask? Just simply ask the patient what they would prefer. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, but that was good that they were aware that in general, Asian cultures, they may not like ice, but just check. But that does speak to even putting ice on the perineum mm-hmm. right? to kind of help with swelling. But they might not want that
3: mm-hmm.
2: because it, the body is now in a cold state. You know, it would be counterintuitive for them. So right. again, trying to explain the healing benefits of that and why we would use ice. And if they don't want to use it, then that's fine.
0: Yeah. I think that's great advice, both for, you know, all the I'm thinking of the therapists or clinicians or healthcare providers who are listening. Really I'm gonna drive the home that point again is to not make assumptions. And mm-hmm. I love that, yeah, just pose the question to them. It's great to have the background knowledge, but you're also dealing with an individual. And that sounds very, very imperative.
2: Right. I'm happy to share some links or some citations of the work I've done if people are looking for more information. Oh, sure.
0: I would love to do that. I can include those in our show notes okay, so people but, can look up your research. So that would be fantastic.
2: The specific articles regarding the Indian women and the Chinese and Vietnamese women. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I think in general, like because I know you add some things as well, you know, in the Asian Indian culture overall, mental health is still stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we have to kind of talk about it in terms of it's for the infant health as well. So mm-hmm. we kind of can reframe it. Even though along those lines, if we can improve how the mom's feeling, then that baby's going to be the beneficiary of that. So So,
0: then kind of taking some of the focus off, you know, mom,
2: you need to get better
0: to more on the collective, that this is bringing it back to the bigger system of the family.
2: Right. So, you know, babies of moms who are depressed, you know, are going to smile less, Mm -hmm. right? They might not be as ready for school as other children Mm -hmm. because that interaction, that bonding with the child, you know, the talking to the baby, all of those things, if the mom is not able to do those things because she's feeling depressed and just doesn't want to deal with it, mm-hmm. then, you know, all of that can affect the baby. Mm-hmm. So the maternal-child bonding can be disrupted. So maternal-child bond can be disruptive. Their cognitive and language development can be affected. So there's many things, you know. So, I mean, you know, goes on with babies of depressed moms, you know, maybe not get all of their health checkups on time or their mm-hmm. immunizations. And, you know, there's a whole another path of research findings about that. Um, sure.
0: So if we are in a position to be supporting an Asian Indian mother, I think from what you're saying is that we can bring in the benefits of taking care of herself and how that benefits the child and the family. Right. That that message is a little, maybe a little bit better received than you need to like mm-hmm. focus on yourself.
2: Right. Yes. It's more about the collective versus the individual care. Mm -hmm. And that's how Asian cultures typically are. It's more about the group versus the individual. Mm -hmm. So that might, you know, one way to kind of support the mom. Sure. And what have you seen
0: in terms of, you know, people, I don't know if this is in your research, Mm -hmm. but people who have, have kind of found out or realized that, yes, they are dealing with some type of depression or anxiety and gotten the help and kind of wondering what kind of hopeful
2: messages you have for people who are navigating this. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I actually don't know, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but from talking to the women, the fact that they would go and seek mental health help if they needed it, that was very promising right there. Sure. So just them acknowledging that, yes, if the symptoms got bad enough, we would go and seek psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, We would do what we needed to get better.
0: Okay. Right. So there's, there's like a high level of
2: tolerance of kind of feeling
0: unwell. And then once they get to a point, they will go and get the help they need. Potentially.
2: Potentially. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. I mean, that's, I think one of the fascinating and maybe difficult parts of research is that like you are meeting and talking to families and mothers, and then you don't really get to have the follow-up. Right.
2: How did things turn out? Um, Right. Yeah, so from my point of view, I've, I've wanted to understand this phenomenon more in Asian Indian women. And then I'd really like to do some kind of intervention, so non pharmacologic intervention,
4: yeah.
2: kind of tailored at getting babies to sleep, because a lot of my PhD research focused on sleep disturbance, as I mentioned earlier. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, we have to do something. And if women aren't receptive to antidepressants, then maybe, you know, we can always try the mm-hmm. non pharmacologic treatment as well yes so in general all of us should be getting enough sleep but especially after having a new child or a new baby you know yours, that sleep is very fragmented so mm-hmm. it's not the amount of sleep it's the fragmented sleep yeah so if you're sleeping for four hours but you're waking up every you know 20 minutes because you think you hear your baby cry mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. still fragmented
0: yeah right and then, wow, that just can go downhill really quickly in terms of your ability to just kind of get through the day mm-hmm. without that sleep.
2: Right, but there are other organizations for help for you know all women and including Asian women. So the definitely, Postpartum Support International has people you know volunteers who speak all sorts of all languages to help. So That's Postpartum Support International, and then I know there are some other. Programs directed at mental health, and I can send you some links if you want to put them at the end. Yeah, that would be
0: fantastic. I will take any resources that you have. Yeah. I know that people are hungry for that kind of right. thing. We need to spread this information. Well, I thank you so much for all of the work that you do and coming on to share with us your research and your experience. I'm really hopeful that people who are listening will have learned something new today
2: and will be able to help other moms. Thank you very much for your invitation.
0: Thank you again, Dr. Goyle, for being with us. Really hope that everyone who's listening can hear these takeaways and really, again, being conscious and aware of how culture might be impacting either your mental health and or if you're a provider, the mental health of the people you are supporting. There are so many different ways that culture can both impact us and strengthen us in our recovery and healing process. If you are new to the Mom & Mind podcast, please subscribe and share this podcast as far and as wide as possible so that all new parents can get this information that they deserve before they need it. Thanks for being here. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us
1: at momandmind.com.